Welcome to the C12 Podcast. My name is Matt, and today we have Michael Lumpkin in our first week of our new series called The Church, where we discuss what the church is and how we are a part of it. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. What's up, guys? How are y'all? Good, good. Well, it's exciting to be with you guys. Um, I look forward to where we're going. As Alex said, I'm Michael, um, and uh, as he also said, I'm over at the Sugarloaf campus, um, so I get to hang out with Cam. Um, I don't know where Cam went. He's somewhere in here. Uh, Cam and I get to hang out over there quite a bit, and we get to do that over there. But also, the Sugarloaf campus is interesting because we're not just the campus that's in the city of Duluth. We are also the broadcast campus. So uh, anything you see online, so 12 Stone Home or 12 Stone Online, that's coming from us. So we get that interesting partnership that's been a lot of fun for the past, there you are, uh, six or seven months we've been doing that and it's been a lot of fun for us and we've seen God do a lot of cool things. But guys, I'm excited to be here with y'all. Thank you for having me. So talking about the church. So let me tell you a little bit about my church experience and we'll pick it up from there. So like some of you, and I say some of you because I don't know how many of you in the room or how few of you in the room, but for some of you, um, like you, I grew up going to church. Now, that's a broad and vague statement when I say going to church because my wife, Candace, she also grew up going to church, um, but we had vastly different experiences going to church. My wife grew up in Colorado. I grew up, oh, who's from Colorado? Nice. But anyways, my wife grew up in Colorado, I grew up in Virginia, and she grew up all her life going to church, and I did the same for the most part. And um, it's just, it's different from person to person. So for me, in the small town of Scottsville, Virginia, located in central Virginia, the town has about a population of 500 people, even to this day, growing up, it was about 500 people, and that's about probably all I will ever get. Um, but we grew up, I grew up there, um, my whole family's from there, so I was the person that broke away and moved down to Atlanta uh, years ago. Um, but that's where we went to church, and in that tiny little town of Scottsville, there were two churches. Well, there were probably more than two churches, but the only two churches you really knew about were the Baptist church and the Methodist church. And not just the Methodist church, it was the United Methodist church, Scottsville United Methodist and Scottsville Baptist church. Those were the two main churches in town. And for the most part, when you talk to people in town, if they said they went to church, they went to one of those two churches or they claimed one of those two churches. They didn't necessarily go to that church, but they claimed it as their church for many different reasons. So we went to Scottsville United Methodist Church. That's where my parents grew up going to church, and that's where I grew up going to church. And I remember there was a particular day, um, I remember asking my dad, because the majority of my friends, like I went to elementary and middle school with, they went to the Baptist Church. And all of my other friends, um, they were from another county, and they went to the Scottsville United Methodist Church. And I remember asking my dad, I was like, what's the difference between a Baptist and a Methodist? And my dad looked at me. Now, I, I still remember him doing this, corny as ever, but I don't know. He might be accurate when he said it. He said, well, son, the difference between a Baptist and a Methodist is the Methodist will say hi to you in the liquor store. <laughs> now, I'm not going to disprove that or try to prove that, but maybe there's some truth to that. I honestly don't know. But that's, and I'm not making that up. It sounds like a corny dad joke because it is a corny dad joke, but he legitimately told me that. And we never talked about it again. And so my understanding of a Baptist and a Methodist was their preference on drinking publicly. Um, but um, that, that was my understanding of a church. And so every single Sunday, my parents would wake me up and we would go to church and I would have to put on khakis and I had to put on a button down that was so itchy. And I had to put on these like really nice 
shoes and they were awful. And we wouldn't just go to church, we would go to Sunday school. And Sunday school was always before church. And so we would get there super early and we would go to this classroom or this, this room upstairs above the sanctuary. And I would go to my class, my parents would go to their class and that was an hour. And then we would reconvene downstairs and we'd walk in the sanctuary. We'd walk in, we'd take an immediate left and then we'd run into the wall and we'd take a right. And then we'd go about six pews up and that was our section. We sat next to the stained glass and there was a white column pillar that was our section. We never, ever sat anywhere else. Was that our pew by like right? No, that's just where we sat. Nobody, and you didn't take that pew. That was ours. The one time we, didn't, we sat somewhere else was on a Christmas Eve like candlelight service, like a midnight service. That was the only time we sat on the right side. And then we went right back to the left. That was all we ever did. And that was my church experience every single Sunday. And my parents would hand me tithe envelopes and they would just hand me those with a pen to keep me entertained, to keep me to shut up. And then my dad always, my dad, super old school, would always carry like a roll of mints. Because what five-year-old doesn't like spicy mints? And he hands me mints like candy to keep me to shut up. And they weren't just like spicy mints, they were the cinnamon mints. <laughs> and, but that's, that was my church experience growing up, y'all. Like that was it. That was church over and over again. And we went to church. And if I'm honest, if you can't already tell, I hated it. Hated it. It was boring. It was dull. And I didn't know why we were going. And I was just like, can we just not? The only way you could get out of not going was like you had to be legitimately sick. And I'm not talking like low-grade fever. My parents were like, hey, here's some Tylenol. The fever will drop. You keep going. And that's what they did until we didn't. See, we went to church, and had you asked me why we went to church, I could have never told you why. Like, we just went. If you had asked me, what is the church? I would have been like, well, it's the brick building downtown with a really big steeple. That was how I defined church. What's the purpose of church? I guess it keeps you out of hell. I'm, like, I mean, I'm being honest with you. That would have been, like, if you had asked me anywhere in my elementary school, middle school, and high school years, I would have given you one of those answers. Like, well, you go to church to go to heaven or stay out of hell. Why do, why do you go to church? Because my parents make me. We've always done it. Like, those would have been my legitimate answers. Well, what is the church? It's that big brick building downtown. Or is that one up on the top of the hill? That was it. That was it. Until it wasn't. Eventually, we stopped going. Now, there were quite a few. Let me say this. There were reasons why we stopped. But one of the biggest reasons is it lost purpose in our life. There was no purpose to go. And eventually that caught up with us. See, part of my parents' story is that they started going back to church when they had me. Because, you know, every good Christian parent takes their kid back to church because they need some church until they don't anymore. That was their purpose. And that only lasted for so long. That was the purpose of church, it's because that's traditionally what you do until we didn't go anymore. Church lost purpose. And see, the truth is, when something loses purpose, it can't last. That's just a principle of life. When something loses purpose, it cannot last. You can apply that to any area of your life, and eventually it'll catch up. It might not be like that, but it will eventually hold true. 
When something loses purpose, it cannot last. And that proved true in our life. When church lost its purpose, it didn't last. And when I say purpose, I mean why. When something loses its why, the what and how doesn't matter anymore. When you lose the why behind the what, you'll stop doing the what and you'll give up on the how. In our case, it was church. And so eventually, we didn't even go on holidays, the big holidays like Christmas and Easter. That is until I was 16. At 16, through a series of different difficult circumstances that I don't have enough time to go into tonight, but I'm happy to explain it later on, they led me with God's kindness to the gospel. And someone finally told me that it wasn't just believing that Jesus exists and that God exists keeps you out of hell, but it really, they explained to me what Jesus did for me on the cross. And that changed everything in my life. Everything. Purpose came in. But we didn't go to church. And I gave my life to Christ at 16, and my life changed. And it would be six months later, when I was uh, 17, the summer before my senior year, so my junior summer year, that I felt a call into ministry, church ministry. And you can imagine my soul was reeling because the only thing I had connection to was that awful experience growing up all my life going to a church like that, which was boring and dull and had no purpose. And then when I told my parents, a senior in high school, that I felt called into ministry, you can imagine the resistance I met. But I had found something that my parents didn't have. See, I really believe, and I share with you my story, because if you can't answer this question right here, what is the purpose of the church? You're in danger of walking away from it. You can leave that on the screen for a little while, by the way. If you can't answer that question, you are in legitimate danger at some point of walking away. Because if you don't know why you're here, eventually it will catch up. Truth is, C12, you go to church. You're here. Just because it's on a Thursday night doesn't make it church. Doesn't mean it's not church. It's church. You're here. Why? What's your why? And you better hope your why is the right answer because God will test it. I am convinced he'll test it. See, I sincerely believe if you cannot answer the question, what is the purpose of the church? At some point, you will be tempted to walk away. It could be difficult circumstances. It could be a, a, a list of different things, but you're gonna be confronted with it. And the what and the how, which you guys are doing right now, if there's no support to it, there's no purpose in it, it'll dwindle. See, the stats are sobering. And these are stats pre-2020, by the way. Conservative stats have shown us that, and by conservative, I mean these are the, the lower number because other numbers are much higher. Conservative stats said before 2020 that 80% of high school seniors a year to two years after graduating that regularly attended church 80% of them will walk away from the church, 80%. And 
And that's a really old statistic, actually. That statistic was actually around 2010 to 2012. Why do you think that is? I think there's a lot of reasons, quite frankly. But I think one of the biggest reasons has to do with a lot of people can't answer that question because they lack biblical understanding. Another way of saying is that they lack biblical literacy. Another way of saying that is they lack biblical knowledge. You don't go to church just to get a bunch of knowledge, but you do have to understand the why behind the what. And I think it's essential for you and the longevity of your relationship with Jesus inside of the church specifically to be able to know why you go to church, to know the purpose of the church. And so you guys are in this series, the church. You got to start with a purpose. You got to start with why. Why even be here? And so that's what I hope to answer for you tonight. The question of the night is, what's the purpose of the church? But in order to answer that question, you have to do a little bit of um, out of order thinking. And here's what I mean by that. We got to first look at the what. Typically, you always look at the why, then you get to the what, and then you get to the how. That's like a leadership principle. But when it comes to the church, it's important to first understand this question, what is the church? I could probably take a microphone around this room, which I'm not going to do, but I could go around the room and I could say, what is the church? And you could give me an answer, and you may or may not be right. But you need to know what it is. What is it? I've heard a lot of answers. Some are halfway decent, some are bogus. But they're honest, and I appreciate the honesty. But I think we've got to get back to the root. Alex and I were talking earlier this week, like we were talking about how important it is for us to get back to the fundamental elementary things. So let's start with it. What is the church? I'm going to give you a definition. I'm actually going to give you two definitions tonight, and I will take my time with them, I promise. The first one is complex, and I'll go ahead and lay that out there for you. It's going to be complex. But I will break it down, and I will take my time, and then from that, I will give you a working definition, a definition that you can use regularly, but I want you to get the meat and the heart of the real thing before you use the working definition. So the definition of the church, the complex one is this. The church is the one and universal, local and global gathering of true believers. If you're a note taker, here's what I would tell you to do. Write that statement down, underline one, underline universal, underline local, underline global, underline gathering, and then underline the words true believer as one underline. Because each one of them is important to understand when it comes to what is the church. The church is the one and universal, local and global gathering of true Believers. Now, what the heck does that mean? Let's start with the word gathering. The word gathering, why do we use that word? Because it's built from the Greek word ekklesia. In the New Testament, when you saw the word uh, church in an English translation, we derive that from the Greek word ekklesia. And the word ekklesia in Greek simply means gather or assembly of people. That's all it means. 
gather or assembly of people. So it actually doesn't translate church. A lot of, I've heard a lot of people actually do messages on this. The word ecclesia does not directly translate church. It actually translates gathering or assembly of people. So it could be a military term. It could be a political term. It could just be a term used to, in the original Greek and that culture back then, to describe a gathering of people centered around a certain purpose. It could be a sewing circle, and they could use that word. Ecclesia had an intentionality to it, meaning these people are gathered up for a particular reason. That's how we eventually get the word church. So the reason why we call it a gathering of true believers is that's the purpose. It's a gathering or an assembly of true believers. Let me camp out there for just a second. True believers, not just anybody, true believers. I'll dive into this a little bit more. So why use the words one and universal? Because it's really essential to understanding the church. Hebrews chapter 10, somebody actually, we were, we were gathered up praying over this, and I thought it was interesting because this is actually one of the verses we're using tonight. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. That would be the assembly piece, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The concept of using the word universal, you guys can actually put the, the definition back up there. The idea of using the word universal is not universalism. Always lead to heaven. Typically, when people hear that, they're like, oh, so we're talking always. No, 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 we're not talking about. Universal, actually, when we talk about the church, the church is universal in that it spans past, present, future. It's the same church. So the church that launched early on that we see in the New Testament, it extends to today, and, our, and it will extend to the future. It's important that we say that. The church didn't have a start-stop back then, and then a start-stop here, and a start-stop here. No, it, it's a collection of past, present, future. Why one? Because Jesus prayed that we would be one in one body, and it connects to the universal side of things. John chapter 17 says this, I do not ask for these only. By the way, this is Jesus before he goes to the cross, praying for the church. But also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you. Father, are in, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. The concept of oneness is an essential characteristic of the church. See, when the church is not unified, the church loses a central tenet that makes it the church. Jesus said that we would be one. And that oneness he prayed before the church was full-blown established. That universal concept, past, present, future, we want that oneness to extend all the way through. We are one body. It's not a millennial body and a Gen Z body and a boomer body. It is one church that extends all of that and beyond and forward. So it's universal and it's one. The oneness is the characteristic of it, local and global. Let's talk about that. The church present day is not just here where we are. It's global. There are people in other countries. There are other churches gathered tonight. We are a global body, but it's still one and it's still universal. But the church expresses itself locally. 
12 Stone Church. It's a local expression of the church. It's interdependent, but we buy into a local expression of it. That is what it means to be the church. And it's of all true believers. A distinguishing factor that makes the church the church is not a group of people gathering together, but it's people that follow Jesus together. Doesn't mean that someone, and you might be here tonight and you're like, well, I, I'm not a follower of Jesus. That doesn't mean that you're not welcome here. But the church, by scriptural definition, simply means all true believers gathered together. So the working definition that you can use going through all of those things, local, global, universal, and so forth, is the church is the gathering of true believers of all time. That's what it means to be the church. That is what the church is. And I give you the working definition after the complex definition because it is important that you understand the characteristic of oneness, universal, but it's locally expressed, but it's global at the same time. It's essential that you understand that to understand the purpose of the church. When you know that the church is the gathering of true believers of all time, then the purpose of the church makes that much more sense. So to the real question of the night, what is the purpose of the church? Not only what is the church, but what's the purpose of it? Why do we gather together? We gather as a church as a body of true believers locally for the same reason God made you. They're identical to worship. You're like, oh my gosh, that's the most elementary answer. Cool, good, glad, I'm glad I could help you out. The reason why the church exists, the purpose of it is to worship the only one that is worthy, which is the same, same purpose of your soul. There's no difference. They might look a little different because obviously you're an individual and this is a collective gathering of people, but the purpose is the same around the same Savior. We are one. One body, one purpose, one Savior. One. And it's to worship. And that might ruffle your theology a little bit. Because like I said, I could have gone around the room and said, what's the purpose of the church? And you might have not given me the answer to worship. You might have said, well, to worship and dot, 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 dot. Mm -mm. To worship. The end. All you have to do is look at the early church and you'll see what their purpose was. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I'm going to camp out here for just a second for you guys. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You'll notice that the word prayer is highlighted there for a reason. See, in the original Greek, it's plural for a reason. See, in our modern context, we have separated worship and prayer into two different categories. We, we treat them like they're good cousins, but the reality is they're all under the umbrella of worship. Prayer is worship. And the early church saw no difference. They knew they were different things. But prayer and worship are one and the same. Why do we often sing songs and worship and pray in between, and then we break out in a song and then we pray again? 
because it's all an act of worship. And it says, and all, that is always the result. When you're, in, when you're in deep worship, reverence falls over you. Fear, awe falls over you. Came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The early church gathered to worship. Did they care for the poor? Absolutely. Did they share their needs? Absolutely. Did they break bread? Did they have fellowship? You better believe it. But their purpose was to worship the one that's worthy. Look a little deeper into the New Testament. These won't come on the screens, but you'll see how Paul describes the conduct that should be of the early church. He would say in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, what then brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, let all things be done for building up. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, he would say this to the church of Ephesus, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks all always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. To the church of Colossae, he would say in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The early church gathered because of Jesus to worship Jesus. The end. And we do too, because that's who we are. That was the design God gave humanity from the very beginning. It's the purpose written on all of our souls as individuals and collectively as the church. Our purpose as a church is the same purpose as our soul, to make much of God. We gather to worship. I mean, I would say it like this to you. God designed you as a creature of worship. That is your design. That's your origin. Scripture says in Isaiah, again, these are not going to come on the screen. This shows that you are a creature of worship. Isaiah 43, 21, the people whom I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. Psalm 96, 3, you should read all of Psalm 95 and 96, by the way, but we'll go with this verse. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. Romans 9, 17, for the scriptures say to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. From the very beginning, the foundations of the world before God created humanity, when he created us, the design, the signature, the purpose was to worship. Adam and Eve in the garden, in the book of Genesis, They lived in such communion with God. It says in the evening breezes, he showed up. Can you imagine? Have you ever been in a moment in your life, it would just be so much easier if Jesus were like physically right here? That was what it was like before sin entered the world. Our purpose is to worship, to worship him because he's the only one worthy. Our origin story is an origin story of divine love and worship. That's why he made us. That's why he made you. And what's interesting is we often know that Jesus bought us back at a high price. 
but he didn't just buy you back. He brought you back to your purpose. Sin robbed God of the worship he's worthy of. I was reading in a book by Steve Moore. He, he wrote in a chapter called Worship. He says, I truly believe that Satan was about not sending people to hell, but robbing God of what he's worthy of. Can you think about that? Sure, there's hell. Sure, there's a consequence for sin. But the greatest stab that Satan could ever make toward God was to rob him of eternal glory to the best of his ability. And obviously he can't do that. But you're an instrument of worship. Why not try to prevent you from worshiping him? Worship is the purpose of the church. Worship is the purpose of your soul. And maybe you're thinking, and I got to bring this up. Maybe you're thinking, but what about mission? What about missions? Like, doesn't the church gather to tell people about Jesus? Like, isn't that what we do? Let me ask you a question. If everyone knew God and sin hadn't entered the world, what would we be doing? Worshiping. As one theologian has said, worship, excuse me, as one theologian has said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Think about that. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions is the outpouring of what you and I, as true believers, know that the world is missing. And the greater that our affection is stirred for Jesus, the greater our burden becomes to go tell them about him. See, growing up, I was clueless about purpose of church. We just went because. And eventually, it caught up. No purpose, why would we go? So we stopped until I was 16. And then I found purpose. See, now I know why going to church is important. Now I know, as the, the author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 10, don't neglect meeting together as some have. Because I know my purpose as an individual is to worship. See, it's never been about me and it's never gonna be about me. But that's what Satan convinced Eve and Adam of in the garden. God's holding out. It should be about you. Sin came in and distorted our worship and it made it either about something else or someone else or ourselves. But when you get right with Jesus, he not only restores your soul, but he restores your purpose and you have the eyes to see that it's not about me. It's never gonna be about me. It's about him and it's always gonna be about him because he's worthy. The purpose of the church is to worship. The purpose of your soul is to worship. So what do you do? So what do you do with like, that's a lot of head knowledge. You got some definitions tonight. You got some questions tonight. How do you live that out? I think it simply boils down to this. Embrace your purpose to worship. You're like, man, that seems really simple. It is, but when I say embrace your purpose to worship, I'm not just talking about, hey, like sing a lot more or put some more like worship songs on. When I say embrace your purpose to worship, I mean embrace a lifestyle of worship. 
See, the truth is your private worship matters to the local church. It really does. In fact, I would say it dramatically impacts it. I think they're tied together. Please don't miss me when I say this right here. I'm going to camp out on it for just a second. I sincerely believe the church will never have greater worship than the private affection of its members. I sincerely believe that. I sincerely believe that the church will never have greater worship than the private affection of its members. Show me a church with weak worship. I'll also show you a church with weak mission because they're tied together. When you know the one worthy and you know the state of the world, you can't help but go tell them. You show me a church with incredible worship, I will show you people that are burdened for the unresolved. And it's tied to your personal, private affection for Jesus. So what do you do? You embrace your purpose to worship. You live it out every single day, not just here on Thursdays and Sundays. It's when you're in class, when you're driving in the god-awful Atlanta traffic that we live in over in the city of Duluth. Afraid you don't lose your salvation doing that. <laughs> you embrace a lifestyle of worship. You live by it. You wake up by it. You go to bed by it. Maybe it is singing in your car more. Maybe it's thinking of God more when you're alone. Maybe it is giving up something to spend more time with him. Your purpose of your soul is to worship him. And the greater you tap into that, the greater the worship of the church becomes. Someone, um, this isn't a part of my notes, but uh, someone was praying, I don't remember who it was. We were, we were gathered up um, as a team. And someone prayed about church hurt. And I had this thought. Church hurt is a real thing, by the way. You have to wonder if our worship were better privately and corporately, would church hurt be such a thing? Because we would be so entranced by who Jesus is, we would be the exact people he wants us to become. So when it comes to the church, guys, it's about worship, the end. You're here tonight to worship the only one that, that's worthy. Are you gonna have small groups? Definitely, and that's a good thing, but it's still about Jesus. When the band leads you in worship, it's not about you and how well you can sing or how well they can sing, which they can, by the way. It's about Jesus. I can honestly tell you that Cam, again, not part of my script, he, he loves to lead. He loves Jesus more. And that's why he leads and that's why he worships. Every single one of them, I know that to be true. 
let it be true of you. And I really believe it is. I stood in the back of the room and I was like, dang, okay. C12, you need to come up and show how some of the Sugarloaf people how to worship. Keep doing it. It's the purpose of you, purpose of the church. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, I sincerely ask you, and I don't ask for just those in this room. I also ask for myself. So let me start there. There's nothing worse than a, a prayer for everybody else and you don't include yourself. It sounds arrogant. Jesus, I ask just as much for me as for them that my soul would truly embrace the purpose you've given me which is to make much of you. As John the Baptist said, when he first met you, less of me, more of him. Oh God, let that be the prayer of C12. And if there's someone in here, God, that maybe they're like, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but they, they start to hear about purpose of their soul. God, I pray that you would give them opportunities to ask questions. And I pray God that your church here tonight would listen well, love well, and worship well. Thank you, God, for them. Thank you for saving them. Thank you for calling them, just like you did me. You, I didn't find you. You found me. You're a good God. And even when it doesn't feel like you're good, you are. Oh, Jesus, would you help them to worship you now from the affection and the private places of their life? God, may it spur your church on to worship you more and more until you come home and take us back with you. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the C12 podcast today. Take some time to reflect on the why behind attending the church and what it means for you. I'll put the definition in the podcast descriptions in case you missed it and want to write it down. I would love to invite you to our fall party this Thursday at 7.30. It's going to be so fun. We're going to do a lot of fall activities, and you definitely want to be there for that. As well as November 6th is a community bonfire event, and we definitely want you to attend and hang out with us. For more information on both of those things, just check out our Instagram. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at C12Stone to get more information about C12 in general and the community events coming up. Hope to have you join us next week.